This is teddysmusic.com. Oh, well done. There we go. Fantastic. I find it so. Yeah. Absolutely right. Hello and welcome all to the first Teddy's Desert Island Discs produced by our very own Teddy's Music Department. Um, for our first guest this evening, we have our very own warden, Mr. Stephen Jones. I'm joined by my co-host, Carolina Ramirez, head of House of Cooper Lodge. And I'm joined by my co-host, Leo Wilson, community prefect here at Teddy's. Anyway, to begin the tracks, Warden, are you excited to be on the show tonight? Oh, it's extraordinarily exciting. Uh, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, actually decide on eight tracks. Unbelievably difficult. Yeah, I mean, we can imagine. We're shorting down perhaps all of your life's, life's history of music into just eight short tracks as a feat. I wouldn't want to do that. But um, to start us off with our first track, telling us about your first school days. Did you grow up in Oxford? Uh, well, oddly enough, I, I grew up all over the world. But uh, uh, having been born in Shropshire, I did live in both Kidlington and then just outside Abingdon and then moved to the Far East um, when I was about two and a half, came back when I was six. Some of my earliest memories are uh, local, in fact. So quite the globetrotter then. So where was your first school? Um, probably in Singapore. I went to a kindergarten <laughs> in Singapore and then to a, a little tiny primary school in Singapore. But by the time I was living in North Yorkshire, which uh, after several moves after Singapore, um, I went to school, to prep school. Um, this was back in 1967 uh, in Sussex at a school called Hurstpear Point College. So um, why this particular track? You've chosen the Ash Grove from Early One Morning, sung by the New College Choir. Uh, well, the Ash Grove is uh, one of several songs that always reminds me of my father. He was always singing the Ash Grove. And this particular recording is the New College recording, which was made by, when my son was a chorister there. So I uh, particularly enjoy this recording of the Ash Grove. Uh, this, is, this is sung in English. It's actually a Welsh tune. Um, but the English version is slightly different. It's got rather a nice little chorus, and the tune itself is incredibly, uh, almost classically Welsh in terms of the structure of a Welsh song. Yes, yeah, so it sounds like you've got quite a lot of emotional connection to this song, not only through your father, but also through your son. Oh, absolutely, yeah. very much so. And moving on from your first and early school days, where did you go for senior school? 
Uh, well, Hurstmere Point was uh, an 8 to 18 school. The prep school fed into a, a public school. Uh, but actually, I didn't go on to the public school. I eventually ended up at uh, Lord Wandsworth College in, uh, in Hampshire, um, which was a fantastic time uh, in my life. It was not a big school, um, but it was huge in acreage. We, we were on 1,200 acres uh, of glorious um, North Hampshire uh, farmland. Uh, and it was just a lovely, lovely idyllic time. I think before I got into the sixth form, I was relatively naughty um, and not necessarily very well behaved. When I did get into the sixth form, uh, life changed completely and I became an absolute pillar of the community. So um, the things that I remember most, I did a huge amount of drama. I was uh, pretty, pretty much never off the stage. Um, towards the end of my sixth form, I played a fair amount of rugby. And in the early years, uh, life was dominated by, apart from being naughty, um, rock music as well. And that was a great time. The mid-70s uh, was a fantastic time for rock music. And indeed, I could have chosen uh, 40 tracks uh, from 1970s rock and still been very happy with all of them. But obviously, I didn't do that. So you chose the song for your school days. You chose Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. Uh, yeah, um, there's a lot of, uh, obviously we listen to a lot of Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, all of those things. But then those, uh, we also listen to uh, people like Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan. And Bruce Springsteen, his career really started in I think about 1973. And the album Born to Run was his third album. And I, I bought it in 1975, just as it was released. And this is the opening track. It's reckoned to be, uh, a lot of many people would think this is the best rock song of all time. Um, it is an unbelievably good song. And if, if you don't like Born to Run, well, really, I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and listen to it. to run by Bruce Springsteen. Well, I'm sure many of our listeners, I definitely wish I could play guitar half as well as Bruce Springsteen could have. Um, many of our listeners would also be aware of your extensive time spent at university, Warden. Um, tell us a little bit about that. You were first were at Durham, I believe? Yeah, I went up to, I went up to Grey College uh, at Durham uh, to do, uh, well, in my first year I did maths and physics. And I was incredibly lucky. One of the reasons I uh, uh, did that was because I was very interested in nuclear physics at the time um, and had this vague idea that I was going to end up working at CERN and to be a, you know, delving into the world of quarks and so on. Uh, and that had always led me on to uh, a certain amount of uh, an interest in philosophy, uh, which wasn't generally studied at school in those days. And I realised quite quickly that that's what I should be studying. And uh, I, I was incredibly lucky that the master of my college, uh, the wonderful Sid Holgate, allowed me to change. In those days, it was incredibly difficult to change from one faculty to another. 
And I ended up actually doing two degrees at the same time in my first year in different faculties, which wasn't possible, according to the university statutes. Uh, but Sid allowed me to do it. And uh, because I had to miss some lectures in mechanics, he taught me every week in his study in college just to make sure I didn't fail the mechanics exams at the end of the year. Uh, so I ended up doing, doing philosophy and uh, uh, graduated with a first at the end of that time. Uh, certainly sounds like quite an eventful university is quite unique as well actually yeah university is more than just the academic work uh you you know the university is about getting engaged a bit like school is in lots of other things and uh i certainly remember certainly uh training with the college rugby team that wasn't at all successful uh I really wasn't big enough uh, then and uh, uh then get also going down to uh the fencing club um and I became a member of the fencing team ended up as captain and president of university fencing I got engaged with a uh, certain amount of drama. I ended up in in a play called actually some of the uh, any of you who re- do French may know the uh, Jean-Paul Sartre play We Clos. I ended up playing uh, the lead in that in a rather an unusual event at Durham called the, the the One Act Play Festival. And I got engaged in the debating society, which is the Union Society. And and at some of the older universities, the debating society is called the Union Society, and there are five of them are related. Um, and I think I, I ended up on the committee of that. Um, I was uh, had the rather bizarre title of custodian, which I think meant all I had to do was run the bar uh, <laughs> and the parties. Uh, we had really nice. We had a, a debating chamber and some really nice. If you ever go up to Durham on the on Palace Green by the by the cathedral, uh, the debating chamber is on Palace Green, and we had some function rooms. But then down the Bailey between two of the colleges, between St Chad's and St John's. Uh, we had a bar and some rooms and a restaurant, uh, and that was my bailiwick uh, for looking after that. So, yeah, it was a very golden time. I also uh, met my wife, Katie, who uh, many of you will know. Uh, she was the year below me and was at Trevelyan College uh, reading psychology. So that uh, was a very, very good time. Well, it certainly sounds it. So you've chosen the song Dreaming by Blondie. Why this song in particular? Uh, well, Blond- Blondie just started. I think the first big hit in the UK was in my upper sixth year at school with Denis. Um, and Debbie Harry was a revelation to boys at a boys' school. I think that's probably the only way of stating that reasonably. Uh, in the early 80s, uh, there was an awful lot of chat about Madonna breaking new ground for female singers. Uh, and I dispute this because I think that everything that Madonna did was on the back of Debbie Harry. And Debbie Harry did a huge amount um, uh, for the development of a female vocalist. And I think she probably stood on the shoulders of some other great female vocalists before that. Uh, and there are a number of tracks. Uh, it was very hard to choose between Sunday Girl, Denis and Dreaming. But Dreaming has got some very entertaining lines in it. Uh, and it's a particularly good song. Well, then I feel like it's more apt than ever. Carriage on a Player's Dreaming by Blondie.
I really love the drums in that song, not gonna lie. So after university, you graduated. What led you to a career as a teacher? Was that your initial sort of dream to be a teacher or what led you to it? Uh, not really. I had I had three plans at university. One, one was to be a cavalry officer, uh, which I'd sort of honed down from wanting to join the Navy, but I'm short-sighted, and uh, wanting to join the RAF, but I'm short-sighted. Um, my father was in the RAF, so those were obvious things. Um, one was to be a don. Um, I was really enjoying academic philosophy, and I thought that would be a great deal of fun. But in my gap year, uh, I had done two things. One, I'd spent quite a long time working at the Royal, the Royal Aircraft Establishment. And the task there was to assess what we needed to build into a fighter aircraft, which was at that time called Air Staff Target 403, which turned into Typhoon, the modern um, RAF jet. Um, and uh, this was quite an interesting project from the outside. And we were we, we basically had created a combat model on a computer. Um, and a computer in those days was the size of a house, really genuinely the size of a house. And uh, we were trying to work out whether whether in a combat you really would have gun opportunities or what missile opportunities and so on and so forth. And it was quite interesting in reality, but uh, sitting in an office with three other people and uh, working on this was not conducive to the sort of person that I think I am. And so uh, for one term in the summer, uh, before I went cycling around Ireland, I took a job ostensibly teaching geography uh, at a prep school in Sussex, the choir school for Chichester Cathedral. Uh, I ended up teaching geography and maths and science and English, I think that was about it, and games and canoeing. <laughs> uh, and it was absolutely fantastic. So I really enjoyed being a prep school master and I realised that that was a lot of fun. So I, uh, on graduation, I, I, I took a job on a little prep school on, uh, on the hill at Harrow, which is a, a, a prep school founded by the headmaster of Harrow back in the 19th century called Orley Farm School, and uh, taught there. Uh, uh, and I taught maths and science. I discovered that science was a bit grubby, um, and maths was quite clean, so I became yeah. a maths teacher instead. <laughs> That's quite cool. Um, you mentioned that you went on a cycling trip around Ireland. Uh, yeah, there's a gap year I, uh, with a great friend of mine. Uh, we decided that it would be quite good fun to cycle from Hampshire to Ireland and round Cork and Kerry. And it was just fantastic fun. Really the nicest place to go. Uh, one, And it's a, great, it's a great speed to see the world, the cycling speed, because you can stop uh, and chat to people on the way. I have a vivid memory of having an hour's chat with a chap uh, called Mick McCarty. Uh, Cork is, a, is an area where the surname McCarty is quite common. Um, and we had a chat for at least an hour, and I have no idea what we talked about even then. It was an uh, interesting uh, time. Um, so tell us why you chose the next song, whose name I can't pronounce. <laughs> well, uh, this is Arhidanos. Uh, you will know this song because this is something that we sing in chapel. Obviously, having taught in a choir school uh, in Chichester, I could again have filled my list with choral music from uh, chapel. Um, and in fact, I've got two choral pieces, and uh, this is in fact a hymn. But this is the Welsh version of, of the hymn that we all sing so well in chapel all through the night, Arhidanos. Uh, and this is, uh, this is the track with Bryn Turfel, the great uh, Welsh baritone, singing it. for 
Well, I'm sure there'll be many listening who'll be looking forward to seeing that again on Tuesday and Thursday morning when the uh, new autumn term comes. So before you came to Teddy's, if my memory serves me correct, you were a housemaster at Bradley School. Uh, that was before I was a headmaster. I was a headmaster in Dover. After I was a prep school master, I was a prep school master, as I say, at Orley Farm. Then I moved to the Dragon School, where we, in those days, used to play. Our top teams would play rugby against the Earlings, and we had a very close relationship with this school, as we still do with the Dragon School. And I'd known about the Dragon and Teddy's from when I was at school, partly because my headmaster at Lord Wandsworth had been at Teddy's himself. In fact, my headmaster at Hurstbury Point had been at Teddy's. They, rather bizarrely, were both in Sings at completely different eras. <laughs> and I had a number of friends at university uh, who'd, who'd been here. And from, from the Dragon, I decided to be a public school master. I went to Cheltenham, where, again, we had a, a good uh, and interesting relationship on the field uh, with uh, the cheltenham Teddy's match. Very, very friendly in the staff room and a fair amount of biffo on the rugby field uh, in <laughs> back in the 80s. A very interesting time to be a teacher, I think. And uh, from Cheltenham, I ran the maths department at, uh, at Berkhamsted. And then I went to Radley and became a housemaster. And from there, uh, I became a headmaster and went down to Dover College, where I was for seven years before coming coming here to Teddy's. So um, what made you, when the position of warden opened up, what why Teddy's? What made you apply for the headmaster of this school? Well, as I say, the, the, the closeness of, of Teddy's to the Dragon and to Cheltenham in particular, uh, it was always a school I wanted to come to. And, and, and there was this sense that I, I was a great fan of Teddy's, uh, really through through Neil Henderson, my the now late headmaster of Lord Wandsworth. And I wanted to come here after the Dragon, uh, but there was no post for me uh, at the time. When I was at Cheltenham, I remember going to see the headmaster there and asked him about the next step. And uh, I said, look, I'm not sure. Maybe I'll apply to Winchester to teach there. Or, you know, perhaps uh, it would be a good idea to go to Teddy's. And he said, he said to me, he said, I, I wouldn't go to Winchester. He said, it's too dry for your <laughs> Celtic passion, he said. And he said, but I happily get in touch with the headmaster of uh, the Warden of Teddy's and see if he wants you. But at this point, I'd found a, a department to run. And I'd love to have come to run the maths department here, but that job didn't come up. In fact, it came up the year after I'd got the job at Berkhamsted. And so I didn't think I would ever come and teach at Teddy's. But when that appeared, when I was down in Dover, I thought, well, this is you know too good an opportunity. So uh, I was very fortunate uh, that the governors decided to appoint me here 10 years ago. Um, how do you find the difference between being a headmaster at Dover College versus being the warden of St Edwards? Uh, uh, Teddy's is a much bigger school. Dover was quite a small school um, and one still essentially owned much more of the task. It was more like being a prep school head in some respects. Uh, so I did, as a headmaster in those days, I did probably a fair amount of the work that, uh, that the sub-warden does here myself. Uh, so we had much smaller teams. Dover's on the edge of the country and is much, much harder to fill. So that's been an interesting task. But having said that, um, you know, we've worked incredibly hard here with uh, what we've done within the school and uh, in the way that we've marketed it and so on and so forth. So that's been very successful. It's certainly coming to Teddy's has enabled the team, the senior team, to do some really interesting things. Teddy's was a school that was just ripe for, for changing certain things. And as you, you will both know that uh, educationally, we've made some quite major changes. And these have been really important. I think in my first year, one of the year groups for IB had only 11 pupils in it. 
uh, and now it's more than half of the sixth form. Do you know it's quite typical to have ninety um, in the IB group, and of course with the other developments we've made. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um, allowing the senior team, deputy head academic and the deputy head pastoral, the various ones of those, to to, to go out and develop the school in co-educational terms, in academic terms and so on and so forth. So it's been great fun. Well, Caroline and I, both as proud IB students, (laughs) are so excited to hear that. Um, For your fifth track, you've chosen Spem in Allium. Why this particular track? Oh, yes. Thomas Tallis was the organist at Dover. He was born in 1505, I think, and Dover College was built on the remains of Dover Priory. And Dover Priory was Thomas Tallis's first job as an organist. He ended up uh, uh, being a very famous musician in the 16th century, writing a large number of polyphonic tracks. And Speminalium is a, is a particular piece, uh, which is a 40-part motet, and it's, it's made up of eight five-part choirs, and whilst I was at Dover, we we put it on, not the school, some of the school, but also the, the choir of Canterbury Cathedral. And we put it on in the building that Thomas Tallis will have eaten in, in the refectory of, of, of Dover College. Um, he will have eaten there every day that he worked there. And it was a fantastic sound. This particular recording, which again is New College, is one with my son in. And uh, in fact, uh, it's got a very particular opening. And the first five-part choir that, that that opens up it opens with a, a with an alto and then the treble cuts in and the treble uh, which I, I would recognize anywhere is my son uh, <laughs> singing uh, that pass Continuing on from co-education as well, I'm the first head of house of Cooper Lodge, which is the first co-ed house at Teddy's that was established. Was this sort of an aspiration of yours to establish a co-ed house or how did it come about? Not initially. Um, Obviously, my own background is in single sex education, because if you went to school in the 1970s, pretty much every school was single sex. There were a few co-educational schools, but very, very, very few. Uh, And indeed, going up to university, my college was an all-male college. My wife's college was an all-female college. And so co-education is relatively new in the sector. And yet I think it's incredibly important. So I knew that we needed to develop co-education. And I still think that this is a a huge ambition for the school to develop co-education. We still haven't reached 50-50 parity, boys and girls in the school, which is something I would love to achieve. And I don't know what the future does look like. And it might be that houses will just in the end be co-educational completely. And maybe that is the right answer at some point in the future. When we were thinking through uh, Cooper Lodge, we made this decision to uh, make it co-educational in the sense of having girls in the sixth form and boys throughout. Uh, it wasn't completely avant-garde. Marlborough were already doing it. I went down and visited Marlborough and had a look at their uh, their equivalent houses and realised that they were working very, very well. Uh, and so we decided to do that with Cooper Lodge. And then at the same time, uh, having built Cooper Lodge, when we knew it was going to open, um, we made the decision to 
actually, well, let's not make it the only house in the school. Let's yeah. let's have girls in sings as well. Uh, and that seemed like a really good idea. And of course, you know that Apsley will be going co-educational as from September. And, and I think this is a, a definitely a movement to improve co-education, because if we're not careful, a, a quotes co-educational school could well have boys and girls in their own houses yeah. and in the same classes. But if you're not careful, that's going to be bi-educational and they might never even talk to each other. And actually, there is a, a lot more to be done in terms of co-education. I'm sure that's something that, that, that this school will continue to push forward uh, with successfully in the coming years. Yes, as, um, as a proud absolute boy of the last five years, it does seem really, really exciting some of the developments happening over the next year. So just about, you've now been at the school for 10 years. Mm. What about you, some of your memories from the last 10 years? Do you have particularly fond ones that you think about, look back on? Uh, that's a really good question. I think most of my fondest memories, and I, I think about these probably annually when it comes up to Gordie, to think about what has really moved me most. And almost all of the things are in terms of pupil performance um, and that's not always, those have been musical performances, drama performances, dance performances, performances out on the games field, performances on the river. It's those things when you see uh, absolutely magnificent things happening. That, and that can be, you know, really being resilient against the odds on a games field, in a hockey match, in a netball match. Um, I remember in my early days, girls playing Oundle, and Oundle had at least three girls who were about six foot two plus could sprint faster than anyone and had phenomenal control. And I thought, we are absolutely up against it. But the girls, <laughs> our girls were so resilient and some of them were tiny uh, in comparison. And, and that's just magnificent. And one thinks of some of the, some of the great productions, the um, James Bond dance show of two years ago uh, in the tent when we had 800 people there. Some of the great musical performances, um, was the, the, the one for the Bernstein, the, the Bernstein West Side Story was fantastic. And you really, the emotional value of that in, in memory, you know, the engagement, the fantastic level of professionalism that pupils get to is extraordinary. And of course, that's all set against a background of, of a school working really hard on the academic work as well. Um, it's just been fantastic fun. There, uh, there are so many memories. It's, it, it would be wrong to point any particular one out. Yeah, I mean, I know from my two years that I've been here, all the sort of performances they've put off with Antigone, Battle of the Bands last year, the performances, like the ballet show that they put on, even during COVID, it just really helped bring the school together. So I think that definitely sort of those performances and the pupils really is a big, important part of the school. Yeah, it definitely stays with you. I think there'll be a lot of people listening and nodding along thinking, oh, yes, the, definitely the James Bond but Dawn show really stays out of my mind. Um, we've already touched on this slightly, but you've achieved a lot over the last 10 years with the academic profile of the school, with raising co-education. Are there any particular things that you're proud of, not only that Teddy's has accomplished or maybe certain departments or just the senior administration? I think it's really the, the, the work of the work of the senior team and the heads of departments, the housemasters, all the all the staff. I mean, actually, one of the odd things about being a headmaster is, um, and I say this advisedly, is you don't do anything at all. Um, none of it, as it were, is me. I suppose my view after 17 years of headship is that if to even begin to be a successful head, you have to just allow everyone to to do their thing really well. Um, and it's allowing other people to have the confidence to go and develop things, to go and change things, to go and make things happen properly. And that they're the right things and that they're in a direction that you want to go in. It's a slightly, that's a, it's a slightly odd job in that sense. The track that you chose next, I think this is the sixth track? 
that's called The Window of Appearances from Akhenaten. Akhenaten. There we go. Uh, yeah. Um, why did you choose that one? This is the only piece of opera in the whole uh, package, and I, I, I enjoy opera enormously. Um, and there are some fabulous pieces in some uh, wonderful shows like um, La Boheme, etc., etc. But I really enjoy certain types of music, and Philip Glass is very much a minimalist. And I, I saw this uh, on television quite a few years ago now, and I was absolutely struck by the minimalist orchestration which is incredibly clever and mathematically clever, uh, with this wonderful top line of, of melody, uh, and it becomes a trio. So this is, uh, this is an opera that's about Akhenaten, who is a pharaoh, and he changes the religion. It's a historically true story. Uh, Akhenaten ceases to be Amenhotep III, uh, who is polytheistic, and becomes a monotheistic religion. Uh, the, the one, the sun god, uh, the Aten, and... He sings this with his wife and with his mother. Um, and in fact, he's one of the pharaohs of the Bible as oh. well, because uh, Nefertiti is one of, these, uh, one, one of the singers here. And this piece develops into this wonderful trio uh, with Akhenaten, who is a countertenor, he's an alto, uh, and, and the other two, one is below him, a, a contralto, and the other is a soprano on top, and it's a, it's a wonderful sound. Going on from, from this year in the future, what hopes do you have for the school moving on? Well, we've talked a lot about co-education and certainly I, I would want to see the, the development of co-education and also the development of the sort of educational uh, philosophy that the school has been pioneering through Pathways and Perspectives, through the IB and so on. And I'm sure that will continue because we are in very good shape uh, in these areas. I'd love to see us develop an international arm which we've been looking at um, closely over the years and have made some progress in that that, that, that area but uh, it's been slightly pushed back by Covid internationally of course that's not, not yeah. helped so there are lots of things there but of course after 10 years it's absolutely time for a fresh pair of eyes to come and have <laughs> a look at it and to change the weather and decide uh, the future um, and it's certainly not my task as uh, shortly to be a an ex-warden uh, to, to think about that. <laughs> I mean, I think I can also say that with the new developments like the Olivier and um, Willow's Cafe and everything, it will obviously be, there's a lot of opportunities for people to be yeah. able to expand the school a lot further, especially when you can 
basically put the whole school in the Olivier and have a massive assembly. I yeah. mean, I'm sure many will still remember the end of four from all packing into the uh, 1970s built hall, which was very much kind of you're halfway into the fire escape. If it was raining, it didn't really work. And I was thinking about the other day, seeing into the Olivier, just how exciting it is to be Teddy's as a shell right now and moving forward. Oh, I think so. I think it's a, a fantastic skill to be in. And if uh, if you just started, I think it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. But uh, hopefully you as upper sixth formers have had a really good time as well. Yeah, I have. Okay. I think the only thing that I've been missing was seeing the full quad I've only seen one half and then the other <laughs> half, but never all of it together. Well, at least we have grass on the other half now. Yeah. Certainly uh, we've got a tent on the first half, but there we go. It's, Can't have everything. It's yeah. great. It's still really good. I'm moving on to your successor. Were you aware of Mr. Chernside and like, deputy head academic circles before his appointment uh, I, I wasn't no uh, uh, and uh, I only didn't teach him because he was one year too young he was actually in the e-block at the dragon in my last oh. year there um, so just before I left and I, I it, it, had he been a year older I'd have taught him in the almost certainly he would have been in the top set maths in the d-block uh, but I didn't teach bo- boys and girls in the e-block um, I, I only taught in the top four years uh, so I'm afraid I never taught Mr. Chernside when he was uh, a small child. <laughs> and, and perhaps that's what a generation in headship looks like. Yeah. Um, so you've chosen for your song, um, for your seventh track now, Violin Concerto by Brahms, if I'm pronouncing yes, it Yes, I, I, I always have enjoyed, I'm not a great musician, but enjoy violin music enormously. And there are a few great violin concertos. Uh, I remember when my elder daughter, Rebecca, wanted to see Queen in Paris, because that's where they were on. Uh, we, uh, I bought her some tickets for a birthday present. Uh, this is when we were still in Dover. So I drove her and a friend down to Paris. And uh, I took my son as well. My younger daughter, Tiggy, remained at home. She was uh, quite young at the time. And uh, so uh, my son and I went out to dinner uh, whilst Rebecca went to watch Queen. And on the way down, we decided to take uh, three or four CDs of violin concertos and decide which was the best one. And I had a Philip Glass concerto, I had the Mendelssohn and the Brahms, and it's incredibly hard to split these. Uh, But I've gone for the Brahms violin concerto. Um, It's a wonderful, wonderful piece. Uh, And I think this recording has Yitzhak Perlman playing the fiddle. Well, that was the violin concerto. So the big million dollar question everyone is wondering, Warden, what are you most looking forward to in retirement? Do you have any plans at the moment? Uh, I, I don't really. Um, uh, there are a few things I want to do. I will need to get some gainful employment at some point and I'm really looking forward to doing something different. I have no idea what that might be at the moment. Um, there's been a huge amount of, as I'm sure you imagine, a huge amount uh, of work over the last 14 months uh, yeah. here. It, it, it's been an interesting time. Uh, so I'm looking forward to discovering what that might be. I'm hoping that I'm going to buy myself another boat, uh, which I would like to keep in Wales. 
I'm not sure I've had permission at home for this yet, but I, I, I have a small short list of uh, 30 foot yachts that I can at least single hand my way around <laughs> Milford Haven and possibly sail over to Ireland, uh, which would be a lot of fun. Um, I'm hoping that I might get a bit fitter. I get my bicycle out a little more often than I currently have. And generally, um, I'm uh, very much looking forward to the summer holidays, like the rest of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. Our Thursday, Thursday break time prefab meetings have been the highlight of my week, Warden. But it has been a long 14 months. <laughs> I think that's only for the chocolate biscuits, Leo. <laughs> for everyone listening in, the prefab snacks are, are to die for. You can't find them anywhere else in school, as I can find. Anyway, so you've chosen as your last track Africa by Toto, but um, particularly the postmodern jukebox cover. Yeah, um, postmodern jukebox I discovered a few years ago are a wonderful band. Uh, And the original idea was that people would ask, uh, it started with just the pianist, and uh, people would ask him to play a tune and he would turn it into something completely different. And so he has covered, or the the, the, uh, postmodern jukebox themselves, have covered a range of modern songs in completely different styles, in 1920s jazz styles, in all sorts of uh, different ways. And Africa is such a great song. Uh, It's one of everyone's favourite songs. I once, fairly shortly before I got married, my best man and I sat up chatting about life, the world and everything uh, with a bottle of something. And we had the Toto album and played this track uh, and the one on the other side, um, uh, Rosanna, endlessly all night. Uh, but I, I, I do very much enjoy Postmodern Jukebox. And so I thought this would be a great way, uh, an entertaining way to have a, a, an eighth song in my, uh, in my Desert Island collection. I seek to cure what's deep inside Frightened of this thing that I become It's gonna take a lot to drag me away from you There's nothing that I need Now, for our final, continuing on the theme of a desert island, Warden, what would be the one luxury item that you would have to take with you? Oh, well, I have thought about this, and I think the, the obvious thing uh, for me would be to have a, a telescope. Um, <laughs> I, uh, at least a six-inch reflector, if not something a little bit bigger, with a very simple mounting, so uh, nothing clever. We are on a desert island, but I think that would be absolutely fantastic opportunity. No light pollution at all on the desert island. One would be able to see absolutely everything, uh, and that would be truly wonderful. Well, thank you for coming on to the show. It's truly been a pleasure. Um, this has been Teddy's Music's Desert Island Dis. I've been Leah Wilson. I've been Kara Ramirez. And that's all for today. Thank you. Ah.